Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray with you as we prepare to wade once again into the shallow waters that make up the global golf pool. It's an exciting episode this week because we not only have Adrian Logue back in his rightful place in the co-pilot seat, but we'll also be beaming in one of my favourite golf people and one of the keenest minds in the game. John Huggin will join us in just a moment from the very cradle of the game in Scotland. But before that, I better say a proper hello to Logue. We missed you last week, mate. I really did. did you? I really did. That's very nice of you to say. Okay. It didn't, didn't really sound like it. Well, sound you're, like like an, you're like an old pair of slippers or, or a putter that you've had for a long time and you pull out occasionally. It's always fantastic for a round or two. And then you think, oh, no, now I know why I got rid of this thing. You're my mum, like you, you know what? My mum tuned in and as soon as she heard that I wasn't on, she <laughs> just <laughs> tuned out and she sent me a text saying, are you all right? She <laughs> trolls you hard on Twitter. <laughs> A she, little bit. She really gives it to you on Twitter. It's fan, fantastic. Now, Harley was great, and it was a good episode. And it was interesting. There was some great stuff, but we did miss you, and I, I'm glad that you're back. So, uh, Have you forgotten how to tell people where to find us in your week off? Uh, they can find us at uh, TalkingGolf.com. Mm-hmm. That's where this podcast and many other fine golf podcasts can be found. I'm at Adrian Logue on Twitter, and you're Rod underscore Mori on Twitter. Rod underscore Mori. Come and join us over there, and you can send me DMs. My DMs are open. Adrian's are not. He's uh, he's. Yeah, mine's more. open. Yeah, are they? DM me. Can anybody people, DM you? People DM me all the time. Oh, really? Lots of path chatter, I would imagine. I do. I get you, sent a lot of you, path pictures. You have absolutely cornered that corner of the internet, the path. Enough about us. We're here every week, so people know plenty about us. Let's bring in this week's guest. Not only is John Huggin one of our favourites, but the numbers suggest that he's a listener favourite also. He's smart, articulate, one of the best in the business, partly because he doesn't pull punches, all of which makes you wonder why I would be disagreeing with him this past week. We'll it was a pretty oh. minor disagreement. Well, uh, yeah, well, that's what passes for disagreeing in uh, in our corner of golf. Twitter, we'll flesh that out if you happen to miss it during the week. But first, some niceties. Huggy, welcome back. Always great to have you being a part of it, mate. Thanks for taking some time. It's, it's nice to be with you. You're, you're doing a great job of keeping me awake right now because I'm sitting in my little chair watching the tedious end of the tour championships so this is a, a welcome break from that you mean the super bowl of the pga tour the FedEx season finale, ending the season ended, the- extravaganza oh. that is set up to be the most entertaining golf that you're going to see season long uh let's come back to that in a moment huggy how's the ankle we all know that you busted it and i think you've actually played some golf recently to give it a bit of exercise so there's two things you haven't done for a while walked properly and played golf so it must be coming yeah. along mate I haven't. I'm not able to walk, you know, as far as I would like, but uh, I'm, I'm definitely progressing. Put it that way. And and I did. Yes, I did play. Went to the driving range once and played seven holes of golf. So I made my first par of 2020 the other night. Did you enjoy it? I did. Yeah, it was good fun. Uh, went out with my wife and played. Uh, she played a few holes as well. So it was. It's all rather splendid. Yeah, nice. That's what golf should be. And sometimes I think those of us who've been around it for a long time forget some of those very simple pleasures that golf can be. So nice to hear that. Let's talk about the FedEx Cup. I think you've nailed the problem with the whole thing right there, Logue, this notion of some kind of finale. The season-long thing doesn't work in golf for me, and I think that might be the real problem about this whole FedEx Cup. I get that FedEx have got a whole bunch of money they want to give the PGA Tour, and the PGA Tour has got to come up with a way to give it away. I get that. But this isn't it, is it? The season-long points race? No, it's it's kind of if you wipe the slate clean and try to set up the opposite of everything that's exciting about a golf tournament, <laughs> this is the format <laughs> you'd come up with. It'd be this staggered start. It'd be a restricted staggered field. Start, it'd be, <laughs> and it just doesn't have that arena field. There's nothing at stake. You immediately start with this separation between the players, which which makes it even less thrilling. And uh, yeah, that's what we've got now is just. 
you know, a couple of blokes sort of running away with it, but no real tension between them. And it's just all this. You can throw money at it. That's that's. I think they think that's the solution to everything. Kind of what they have done, isn't it? It's pretty. Just uh, that just becomes offensive. The amount of money, especially in a year like this, it's, <laughs> it's always just, been offensive. But it's even more so obviously yeah. this year. That's a separate issue, I think. I mean, that's true of also entertainers. And I think they think it's a key part of the formula. There may be something in America where money has more appeal yeah. than elsewhere. Along with this golf course, and you know the. The heritage of it being sponsored by Coca-Cola, this event, and the, you know FedEx is a massive sponsor. So they've you know those two massive sponsorships is where that can come from, and it can only come from them if it's played at this this course, which has this air of legitimacy with the Bobby Jones heritage, and but it still looks like a TPC, and it, you know it's just it, the whole thing is the perfect confluence of. Everything that PGA Tour thinks people want to see, but it's it's just not. Yeah. Huggy, no surprise to you, is ragging on the PGA Tour. I'm sure that you agree with that. What's your? I, I, this this started last year, obviously, when they announced it last year. I was actually staggered. I thought that it was some kind of a joke when they said they were going to have this handicapped. I honestly did. I mean, have you ever come across anything like this as an idea, Huggy, for an event? Well, I mean, well, not in professional sport. No. I mean, it just runs, as you just touched on. I mean, it runs contrary to everything that competitive sport at this level should be about i mean and and the first thing everybody does at the end of this tournament is, is work out who actually <laughs> who actually won, won. Mm-hmm. had there not been a handicap system in place so including the world rankings bit, huggy the official world yes. golf rankings go off the gross leader they board, do. not the let they yeah. do yeah absolutely i think uh, i spoke to um doug ferguson who the ap golf writer he called me yesterday on the phone and he and he's there and and i was asking him about it and I said, how, how do they ever call these things playoffs? You know, when you have guys like Webb Simpson took last week off. So how can it be classed as a playoff? And Doug says, well, he says, he never actually calls it a playoff, which I hadn't picked up on. He says, I call it the postseason mm-hmm. just to get away from the playoff, you know, terminology, which is obviously nonsense. But yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the whole thing is just a complete turnoff. And uh, I can't wait for the next season to start, which is actually... <laughs> Yeah, three days from now. So, so even a short. <laughs> you won't be waiting long because they're finished on Monday. Huggy, what is the process that leads to a committee meeting where the outcome is this is what we're going to do at the Tour Championship? Well, I think they they struggle. I mean, the the, the PGA Tour struggles with quite a lot of things. Um, one of the high on that list is the fact that which is probably a good thing is that they have absolutely zero input on any of the four major championships. Or, and not that much in the Ryder Cup either, although they do provide the players, you could argue. But so this is their, their, they're trying desperately to come up with something that, that is going to create the buzz and the interest and the historical significance of the majors and the Ryder Cup and things like that. And they fail miserably. I mean, the, you know, as you guys, have, I was sitting there listening to you guys and, and nodding my head. I mean, it's just, I've got no interest in this whatsoever. Zero. And I don't know why they've got to, I don't know why they even try. I mean, they just just keep doing what you do. I mean, it's clearly, you know, in some level, enormously successful because we touched on, look at the money they're playing for, mm-hmm. which is distasteful at, at this point in, in the world's history. But, you know, th- that's all the players care about is, is how much money are we playing for this week? I mean, the, you know, and they're professionals. So you can argue that the PGA Tour do their job, mm-hmm. you know, their job description. They do it very, very well. If you're a PGA Tour player, you love Jay Monaghan right now. I mean, you're, this life has never been better for you in terms of the money you're making. What about this argument, Huggy, that they need to 
allocate this huge amount of money because to keep it aligned with other professional sports. But even then, it's way short of other professional sports, apparently. Yeah, well, I mean, in baseball in America, I mean, the if you're a top pitcher, I mean, you get a contract for, was it, it's over a hundred million normally these guys sign up for it, and it's absolutely guaranteed. They don't. They can actually then just be crappy for the next five years um, and still get the money. So, I would. I wouldn't. Why they get involved in in comparisons with other sports is is a mystery to me. But just they should be focused far more on. And I'm just, I'm sure you guys are sympathetic to this on the quality of the product and the the courses that they're playing. I mean, you touched on. Again, you touched on that with the the course they're playing this week. Just looks like every other course, mm. nearly every other course that they play on that tour, and it's it's the sameness of it. They they need to get far more variety, and you know I hate to bring this up, but until they fix the equipment, they're, they're not going to get that variety because there's only one way. As we saw last week at Olympia Fields in in the Chicago, there's only one way to make these courses difficult for these players, and that's to completely you know submerge the the original design of these courses and, and long, rough, silly fast screens and daft pin positions. That, that's the only way to make it difficult these days. Mm. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there to unpick. One of the things I wanted to unpick, though, was you talk about this comparison with other sports, Logan. Of course, that's predominantly an American thing. They compare it to NFL and you know, globally. Golf is a global game, though. Is that the, perhaps the point that the PGA Tour misses? They want it to be this American-centric and compete with American sports. But the numbers in America – don't stack up to the NFL, baseball, and basketball. The numbers globally do. And if they were to recognise that, the PGA Tour, God forbid that we want the PGA Tour running golf all around the world, but <laughs> taking out all the emotion and, and all of those sorts of things, that's the reality of golf. It's a global game far more. Soccer is probably another great example. Soccer is the most popular game in the world by far. Mm-hmm. It's not that big in America. So, I mean, they, they kind of missed the point by trying to localise it. Whereas the LPGA Huggy has realised the opposite, haven't they? They have become, whilst most of the golf's played in America, they've become an incredibly international tour. Um, well, they were they were dragged screaming into that, if you want to be cynical about yeah, it, yeah. just because all the more, a very a huge percentage of the best women players are, are not American anymore. You know? By far the bulk. The other thing, Huggy, was this notion of um, it's never been a better time to be a professional golfer, and that's true, and it's been true for a long time. Golf's been on a quieter trajectory, particularly in the US, the PGA Tour, and the amounts of money and staggering. One of the things about business, Huggy, is it's not about now. It's about the future. Is it sustainable, What the, P- the model the PGA Tour is running at the moment? Is that sustainable in the long term? Well, it is if their luck continues, because if you look at just this year, they signed the new TV deal for you know whatever billions of dollars on the Monday of the Players' Championship, and three days later... You know, the world came crashing down about us and they, they had to stop the tournament and, you know, we, we know what's happened since. But, you know, can you imagine if that contract had been still, that was was going to be signed on the, the following Monday, the day after the Players' Championship, there was no way they'd be, the, the money would be the same. I mean, they, they, they got the biggest break you could possibly imagine. I mean, they, they, can you think of anybody luckier than Jay Monaghan that week? Well, that, that MSNBC interview he did was... Pretty. It was right on the borderline of just being a complete PR disaster. I think when he was announcing that that TV deal, and everyone was like, "Well, let's just can we just get back to coronavirus, please?" <laughs> yeah, We've right. got this worldwide disaster unfolding, and you want to tell us about your TV deal? Uh, indeed. So, to the event itself, how do we fix it, Logue? What would be a better if we accept if they made you PJ Tour Commissioner? You've still got this same problem. FedEx are going to give you 
what is it, 50 million bucks or something for the year, and you've got to disperse it somehow. How are you going to do it? What's the answer here? Well, I just I think last week or whenever it was would have been better off still being the Western Open, mm-hmm. um, put a sponsorship on it. Like, why do these need to be – why does it need to have a postseason at all? Like, it, it's always worked out before. With, yeah, you awarded a Varden trophy at the end and you had you always had a money winner at the end. And, you know, that the money winner is the season – ending person and these these good tournaments have all been shuffled towards the end i understand they did it in order to get consistently good fields in a little stretch of golf whereas the regular pga tour events uh struggle to actually fill mm-hmm. um you know many of the top 50 players just don't turn up to a lot of them they did change that rule a couple of years ago didn't they? you now have They've to try all sorts of rules to try go on the lpga route i think where you have to play once every it still doesn't five years get it done though so they uh, that's the problem they should address is forget this postseason where they're trying to compress all of the good players into three or four events and showcase those events. Uh, I'd just rather see consistently good fields week in, week out at the PGA Tour and you know have it be the, the best uh, the best field in golf. But uh, you know for the money as well, I think about it. Don't, let's not compare it to other sports. Compare it to other professions. And I'm tell, I tell you what, like golf has this weird imbalance that and not everybody should get to play a professional sport. Like if you want to play a professional sport as a living, you've actually got to have some skills. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a software developer for a living, you know, you can have a crack at that and, you'll, <laughs> and someone will pay you. Um, you. You might not get a lot if you're not very good, but you'll, you'll be able to make a living doing that. Professional sport should have a little bit more of a barrier to entry, but I think the in golf, the imbalance is is way out of proportion. Like you've actually got to be one of the, I, I'm guessing, yeah. 400 best in the world to actually might make be, a consistent living. Might be a thousand. Three. Peter Fowler, reckon a prob- thousand. Peter Fowler, because there's probably about a thousand realistically. And so the thousandth best golfer in the world might make less than a mediocre software developer, and the mediocre software developers go down to like you know I don't know two million, three million people or something like that. So I. I this might be a little bit socialistic, but the I, I do feel like there should be a little bit more of a spread so that you can have a decent. If you're the thousandth best at something in the world, you should be making a pretty decent living, not just scraping it together. If you're a communist, obviously that's exactly the sort of line that <laughs> you run. Thousandth best in the world. That's it's like the top zero point zero zero one percent. It's like the, it's the opposite of socialism. It's like it's just. Like you should be, you should be able to make a living as the classic, thousandth best. Classic watermelon, mate. Green on the outside and pink on the inside. Are you up for this leftist bloody world that thousandth Logue wants us in to the world. live in? That's like way up there in the Logie? top. What's the answer percent. for the playoffs? Firstly, yeah. Well, I think I'm like Adrian. I would, I would do away with playoffs. I mean, playoffs and extra season stuff and all that. Just get the season right. Get mix things up a bit. Get, mm-hmm. get you know, make it. Come up with some different formats. At least try some match play. You know, go to different courses. Go make the golf course a higher priority on, on the list of things that you need to make a great tournament. Because it's not that is not a high priority mm. for the, the the PGA Tour, or it doesn't appear to be. Because everything you know, the what percentage would you say of the PGA Tour season is played on a golf course that is pretty much interchangeable. Is it probably 75, 80 oh, percent? Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least. It, it looks about the same. Yeah. You know, there, there are, you know, there's the odd one that, that stands there's out. Some stand out but, uh, it, that's, that's the problem. It's the sameness of it. It's just, it, um, it's boring after, you know, and the, the players are playing, you know, they're bad enough that the equipment 
is making them play the pretty much this, there's only one style of play that's going to be effective at that level. The, the courses are being, you know, altered to fit the equipment, which is the opposite way of, you know, we've, t- we've touched on this many times before, but they should be screwing around with the equipment to fit the courses, not screwing around with the courses to fit the equipment. It's, it's the wrong way around. Yeah, indeed. And of course, Huggy, having just announced next year's schedule, 50 events the PGA Tour, oh. 50 events. So That just chokes out the rest of the world. The whole it? world now, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. And and that has that domino effect where, okay, our very best players from Australia, as an example, it's true for South Africa and many of the European Tour players as well, don't get the opportunity to play events. Certainly here in Australia, we feel it. But so do our our other good Australian players, the Greg Chalmers and Matt Jones. Matt Jones won two Australian Opens. He couldn't defend the first one because he had to stay in America to try and get his FedEx Cup points up so that he could keep his card Ooh, for the following year. Just, yeah, exactly. Suspen- Suspension. Yeah, maybe I'll have next week yeah. off. You and Harley can have yeah. the show <laughs> next week. So uh, so there is, there is that. It, it, we've always had the Tour Championship, Huggy. What's wrong with just having the Tour Championship at the end for the top 30? And if you're in the top 30, you get to play for the 15 million. But, well, I can live with one week of that. Yeah, they know, just that, overthink that, it, don't they? Yeah. Why do you need a whole yeah, playoff yeah. system? You go from 125 to 30 from the last week of the season to the Tour Championship, and 30 blokes have got a chance to win 15 million bucks. Forget this. Yeah, no big trophy for the season-ending no. thing. No season-ending trophy. No, well, yeah. I, don't, I don't care about the trophy, but the tournament itself, they can do whatever they want at the trophy presentation because nobody sticks around. They can give away as many trophies as they like. But the problem with this tournament is it's just not interesting because you know half the field can't win. This they, is an official win as well, isn't it? If yeah, it is. DJ wins. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So why not just all this body of work nonsense? Forget it. The, the blokes from... One to thirty have already been rewarded for their body of work. They've won the most well, money already. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and they're going to get rewarded even more next year. I mean, if you get into this tournament, you're into everything, literally everything next year. You're exempt for the everything. And this year, interestingly, I know we're going to touch on this later on when we talk about the the women, the famously women, the women of the with the winner of the Women's British Open. But here's the thing: the the winner this week of the Tour Championship. I mean, Dustin Johnson is going to win this thing, it looks like, and and he's already in the US Open. But had it been somebody in this field who was not already in the US Open in a couple of weeks, he's in. That, there was an exemption there for the winner oh, of this tournament for, 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 this year. for the US Open this year and for next year, oh, mm. which Huggy is a complete just... contrast to what the LPGA got up to. Oh, Huggy's already thrown the first salvo in a war yeah. that hasn't started That's yet. Right. We're going to come we, to that. We were promised a disagreement. <laughs> That's right. We're... Point of Point of order, though, Huggy, uh, it's US ajar, isn't it? <laughs> we'll come to that. Sorry, Last thing I wanted to touch on, Huggy, uh, being the Peden that I am. Many listeners out there will be shaking their head. You've called for different formats and let's do something different. They've given us handicapped golf and you're against it. What's wrong with you? You can't be pleased, can you? Well, it's, it just runs contrary to, to professional sport. I mean, it's, it's all about, you know, if you're not doing well, play better. Well, You've, you touched on it earlier. I mean, if you play better, they're going to hand you an even bigger advantage. I mean, it's, it's completely backwards. It find doesn't make any people, sense. Find the people who least need some help and give them the most assistance. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Which I think we've all established. We're all commies, obviously, because I think we all tend <laughs> to agree on that. You mentioned the US Open, Huggy. It's on in a couple of weeks. Um, like everything in this bizarre year, it's bizarre, isn't it? There's not much in the way of buzz. 
I, you know, I, I couldn't tell you exactly what dates it's on, whereas that's not normally the case. We obviously we know it's at Winged Foot. Just another weird year. You wrote an interesting piece that uh, Golf Australia ran on their website yesterday, Golf Australia, the magazine, which I didn't get to read. I only saw the headline, and it was that U.S. Open, more like U.S. U.S. Ajar, I think, was the headline. Explain to us what you were talking about there in this strange COVID year of tournament golf. Well, my point was that you know the the, the USGA. I mean, you can argue that the USGA have done a fine job of getting the thing. They're going to get it played, and they're going to have a great field. But basically, all they've organised is is a big tournament with all the big names playing. It's not a U.S. Open as you know we've traditionally seen. I mean, they're, they're, we're not going to be. There's going to be some guys that I haven't heard of, but not nearly as many as normal. I mean, the whole point of the U.S. Open, the clues in the title, is that you know Joe Blow gets his chance to to go and qualify, and you know from even places like Alaska, you can. There's even a qualifier in Alaska you can make your way to, to winged foot from. But that's all gone. I mean, it's, it's they've done a nice job of, you know, it's a, it's a big tournament. It's it's going to have the name on it and all the rest of it. But it's not a, it's not really a U.S. Open. Not really. We're heading for another Hail America Open situation, aren't we, Huggy? You're going to have an asterisk if you win it mm-hmm. this year, and there'll be a lifelong argument about whether it was a, a real U.S. Open or not. I suppose, Logue, and Huggy's touched on it there, one of the – Great things we're missing this year. The U.S. Open final qualifier week is always one of the great highlights in the golf calendar. Mm-hmm. You've got former major winners teeing it up with, you know, the guys who've come through regional and sectional qualifying. It's, it's a real shame, isn't it? I mean, there's nothing the USGA could do about that. Would they have been better to have cancelled it as the Open chose to do? I think they've got so much invested in the the venue, and uh, they don't. I'm not sure they had the same. Insurance deal. That I know the insurance the deal. seems to have been the had, difference for the yeah. RNA. The RNA were insured to cancel it, so they did, and they made the call early. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that, I think they were forced to go ahead, push ahead with something, and I, I feel like you've, you've got to make a bunch of compromised decisions at every step, and not having pre-qualifying was one of those compromised decisions, which is probably the right decision at the time. So what are you left with having to come up with ridiculous criteria to it's not quite the US closed no, um, no, but no, it's no. uh you know they've they've just had to do something they've they've navigated a very tight little window of legitimacy and I think they're just getting there. Yeah. We'll see what it turns out like the PGA wasn't a complete disaster it seemed uh, Morikawa was seemed shot like a, on Sunday kind of so there was, there was a major feel to mm. that win finally yeah. Yeah. yeah so and I think the the venue uh, although it's choked out with rough and the bunkers are in the rough and um, you know the greens look amazing though at uh, Wingfoot change at least so Huggy um, would they have been better to cancel it the USGA well you have to ask yourself I mean Adrian just touched on that I mean the, the I'm sure there was lots of decisions got made but basically you're thinking to yourself how how far down the road to half ass do we go here before we cancel it mm-hmm. you know and they've obviously decided that they haven't gone far enough down that road to make that decision but to me they have it, it, the, the, as soon as they got rid of the qualifying it wasn't the US Open anymore it, it was something else so all this is that we're going to see in a couple of weeks time is another massive tournament for you know big money the, all the top players will be there it won't, make, it won't make any difference to who wins but it will make a difference to the makeup of the field which I think is you know the, my wife will laugh when she hears me say this but the, the, there's no romance left in the US Open this year we're not going to see the you know the the guy who works as a postman five days a week you know who plays off scratch and has somehow worked his way through three levels of qualifying or whatever it is 
and made it into the field. That guy isn't there this year. It's just the not Jack Fleck or and Steve Jones. It, so it's so it's basically it's just it's something else. It's not the U.S. Open. I don't know how you define it, but it's not the U.S. Open. It's just something else this year. It's a shame they launched that from many to one campaign earlier <laughs> this year. <laughs> it's a great concept, but yeah, not just not the year. Yeah, it's hard to know what to say about 2020, isn't it? I wonder how we'll look back on it in 30 years' time. We're navigating it right now, obviously, and we can disagree about the ways forward. I, I, if I was at the USGA, if I was running the USGA, I just can't imagine what a gargantuan decision it is to say we're not playing the US Open. Because if there's any chance at all you can host a tournament called the US Open, you're going to have probably the majority of golfers say, well, why didn't you do it? You'll probably cop more... Flack. But I do take your point, Huggy. At what point are you, well, we're calling it a US Open, but is it really? So it's a, I wonder how we'll look I mean, back on this. If this one gets US Open status, then Ben Hogan, Scotty's an, <laughs> an, an extra US Dan, Open. Dan Jenkins will be turning in his grave, Huggy. He was a relentless campaigner for the 50 US was. Open, wasn't he? he? Was, yeah. he, 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 saw he? he saw the medal, didn't he? He saw the medal and it was, uh, was almost. What do you reckon, Huggy? How will we look back on this 2020? It's been just such a bizarre... And obviously, golf is the least important thing that's happening this year, but we will look back on it in golf terms in 30 years. I wonder what we'll think about how we handled this whole thing. Well, I think, the, um, the, the to be fair to the PGA Tour and the European Tour, I mean, the, the PGA Tour got off to a rocky start with the, the regulations they had in place weren't nearly stringent enough, but the, the European Tour, from what I'm hearing from, from players and, and the few media who've actually been to tournaments um it's very very strict it's very you feel very safe in, in that environment and but it's not a lot of fun there is nobody having any fun um because the social aspect of the european tour which is much more um important if you like than the, on the pga tour which is basically non-existent there um that's that's been lost i mean i talked to like of lee westwood and I saw the the lad, uh, English lad, young English lad, Jordan Smith, mm. pulled out the, the through, tournament yeah. last week. Mm-hmm. Um, he this was his seventh week in a row in inside the bubble, if you like. Um, so I'm not surprised that he was slightly demented by the whole thing and pulled out because he just couldn't handle it anymore. Um, it was probably his, his mistake was not um, you know not enjoying the bubble. I think nobody's enjoying that, but his mistake was playing too many weeks in a row. Um, I think the guys who've played a couple, taken a week off and played another couple, that's probably the way to do it. Um, two weeks in that environment would probably be enough for most people. But um, I think I'm maybe going to go to the Scottish Open uh, next month, so I'll get a taste of of what it's like. Um, it's going to be odd because it's played <laughs> uh, at the Renaissance Club for me anyway because it's about you know 15 minutes from my son's home and about 15 minutes from where I grew up. And I'm going to be probably stuck in a hotel in Edinburgh going back and forward uh, to the course every day. So it's, it'd be weird, but uh, that, that's the bottom line is that they, they've done a, you know, the European tour have done exactly what they should do. They've, they've made it safe for the players and for everybody else. And the PGA tour have finally, you know, they've caught up. They've done a good job, I think certainly recently, but it's no fun. It's, it, there's nobody enjoying this. It's, and it's, I do worry slightly. I, I did a piece for the Americans um, maybe last month, I do worry slightly that the the European Tour, you could almost argue that it might have been better for them not to play at all because the tournaments that we've been watching, uh, the the money's been, you know, minuscule relative to what it was before. The fields have been very poor because, um, you know, anybody who's any good 
is, is, has gone to America, and a lot of the guys didn't play, as I said, every week. So there's the the sight of a top fifty player in a European Tour event since they came back from the lockdown has been rare indeed. And so the the standard of the product the product has not looked great um, in terms of the, the the quality of the fields and all the rest of it. But but you can argue, you can also argue, of course, that getting out there and playing and keeping yourself you know in the public eye is is the way to go. And I I would probably conclude with you know, that concur with that. But there, there is definitely a slight uneasiness about the, the quality of the product that we've been watching. You've got to have that balance in a golf tournament, don't you? You need the big names, but you also need the rising stars. I think of somebody like, what great opportunities this has been for Minwood yeah, Lee, yeah, for example, who's a star of the future. We know that. Could have probably really fast-forwarded a career these past six to eight weeks, uh, potentially. So there's there's that, that way for it. You mentioned Lee Westwood there, Huggy. He's a pretty social animal. Some of the players are, not all, but some of the top yeah. players. I wonder what impact that this has on them. For a guy like him, I would imagine being in the bubble will affect his play because he can't be the person that he normally is in terms of socialising. There are impacts, aren't there? We never think about that sort of stuff, but as you say, it's no fun. For some golfers, that would just be there's no way they could play their best golf under those circumstances. No, well, as I say, the, the European Tour, I mean, it's it's an, almost a cliche these days. I mean, if you go to a European Tour event, the players and the media and the you know everybody else, they're staying in maybe two hotels, three at the very most. So you can, you know, you can be staying in, you come out of your room after you've gone, finished your working day and go down to the bar and there'll be somebody there that you know and there'll be somebody that you can go and have dinner with. That aspect of it has obviously been lost. You're, you're, you're paired with, the players are paired with their caddies, which must be an absolute nightmare. Can you imagine Ooh. Jordan Smith in his seventh week of having dinner every night with his caddy? <laughs> Brutal. I mean, you've got, I mean, it's, I don't often feel sympathy for professional golfers, but I do have a, a certain, you know, I can I can understand that. But uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the, I don't know. I mean, it's it's you just maybe we've just got to make the best of it and and do the best we can. And I think everybody, I don't think I can accuse anybody of not doing that. I think uh, both the PGA Tour and the European Tour have done their best. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Absolutely, Kinko. What do you reckon, Adrian? We're going to look back in thirty years. What are we going to say? We handled it well. We should have just cancelled the whole thing, or. Well, just on, on the European tour, I think there's a, it's always on the edge of survival a little bit. So they had to swim or die, really, no, didn't well, they? Or well, I don't know. Do, uh, have they made money, do we know, Huggy? In the business, in the financial reality of the European mm. tour, would it have been more financially sensible not to play? Because, of course, when you play, yes, you make some money, but you you, you spend some as well. Do we know what yeah, that's Yeah, I, I don't think the European tour is in a great place no. um, financially. Um, they, they significantly have announced basically nothing for next year as yet. Um, and it's getting towards the end. Traditionally, they, they've been a bit slower than the PGA Tour in terms of coming up with a schedule. But um, it's going to be interesting. I mean, all, all we've gotten out of Keith Pelly so far is that there will definitely be another UK swing next year. Um, that's And that's just about the extent of it. Um, it's, that's, it's worked pretty well. I mean, it was almost like... Uh, Going back, I spoke to Mike Clayton, uh, our mutual friend, and he 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 likened it to the the European tour that he played on back in the nineties. That that's that's basically what it was. It's it started in Europe, uh, it started in Britain in April, and you know went through the most of the summer there, and went occasionally into the continent, and it was done by October. Um, that's what it used to be like, and that's kind of what we've come back to. That's a, that's a great concept isn't it you could base yourself in a house in bag shot and just 
travel mm-hmm. around yeah. well it's mostly around you know that area and then yeah, occasionally onto the continent and well, but get but get back you know, sleep in your own, own bed they had their own enclave there there was That's Clayton right. Fowler senior um, yeah a few others I'm, I'm sort of leaving. Yeah, but then they would pick somebody's house when they got back and that's where they'd go that Sunday night but when they got back from Europe. It just it, sounds like so much fun, it doesn't it? Like I, an absolute, it doesn't sound like, conducive to playing great golf, but it does sound <laughs> like yeah. an awful yeah. lot of fun. Uh, in one way, Huggy, has it been nice to see golf back in the UK because the European Tour doesn't play much in the UK anymore, hadn't done prior to this year. Might there be an upside in that the UK will realise how good it is to have some professional golf back? Is that a possible Well, I tell you, it was interesting to you – know, we could actually um, – Little comparisons that can be made. Now, I'm I'm struggling to remember exactly the numbers, but the Hanbury Manor, where the um, Sullivan won with what's he 27 under par, I think it was. Uh, the the last the previous tournament European Tour event at that course was in 1999, which was the English Open, I think. Um, the field in 1999 was vastly superior to the field that they had um, this year. I mean, there was a bunch of major champions in Monte and Faldo and Jeff Ogilvy played. There was a few, you know, a list of, you know, top class performers and Darren Clark won it on 20 under. Now, I think I'm guessing a little bit with the numbers. I can't quite remember, but I think there was something like nine or 10 players got to 10 under or better that week in 1999 with that field in place. And then this year, with a vastly inferior, or at least on paper, field in place, 52 players got to 10 under or better, which shows you the difference in the game that's being played in that 21-year gap. I mean, I think we all know that already, but it was confirmation of the fact that the game, you know, obviously there's weather differences and, you know, whatever else, but they were, they were playing basically the same course. It was almost exactly the same length. So the game at that level has become so much easier than it was 21 years ago, which I thought was quite interesting, but it just kind of confirmed what we all know, really. You know. Not as good a field. Were the frogs getting slowly boiled? The- <laughs> oh, nice analogy. Yeah. It's not It's not undressed by took, took kings and seen some things, but it's not one of your worst either. I've had plenty of reactions. More than, more than a few people have mentioned to me that you said that the other week. Like, that one went down <laughs> particularly <laughs> It is terrific to be hearing the dulcet tones of John Huggin, and I hope that you're enjoying the chat as much as myself and Logue are. Now, while you're considering today's discussions and the broader outcomes for golf, do yourself a favour and surf over to thegolfsociety.com.au and check out some of the latest apparel, or apparel as Logue likes to say, and accessories that they have on offer. Aaron and the team at the Golf Society have been terrific supporters of the Talking Golf Network, and they even offer a $25 discount for listeners when they make their first purchase. To take advantage of that, head to thegolfsociety.com.au forward slash Talking Golf, just the one G in Talking Golf, and the Talking Golf is the important bit, and check out the latest from Ralph Lauren, Hugo Boss, Travis Matthew, and more. Now, back to John Hugger. Huggy. Keith Pelly told you outright on the McKellar podcast a couple of months ago that the European Tour was not in any financial trouble at all. Do we believe that? Mm. No, no. There, there's there's huge issues there, just like any other business. I mean, they, they've had a, a 60-odd people get paid off, and there might be more coming depending on how the next few months go. Um, so he was being, I think, a little bit disingenuous with that, and I don't think anybody really believes that. Anyway, it was a silly claim to make, given that there's no shame in in admitting that there's financial issues. I think just about every business on the planet has got uh, 
something apart from Zoom and FedEx. You know, the only people that are making any money at the moment. So and Amazon, um, Jeff Bezos is about yeah, to become yeah, the world's Amazon, first trillionaire. Yeah, my, mm. An individual trillionaire. That's amazing, isn't it? Hey, what a wonderful thing we've Good done for in the world. Let's celebrate really. that. Yeah, let's do that. Does it leave the European Tour ripe log for the thing that we've all feared for so long that the PGA Tour will just take it over? Oh. Or the European Tour? Well, I was thinking the PGL will Well, what take do you over. pick if you're the yes. European Tour? Which way do you go? Uh, do you hook up with the PGL or do you band together with the PGA Tour and accept your fate? It's like uh, Sophie's Choice, isn't it? No, it's not the opposite of Sophie's Choice. Um yeah, I'd, I'd actually go for the PGA Tour. I can't believe I'd say that, but um, you're a traditionalist. I, I don't want to give them more power, <laughs> but I just think these the PGL mob, based on what I've seen, they don't actually care about the product. They're just these people who come in and buy things and then not like the PGA Tour pump them up. <laughs> it's kind of the choice I, I between two cancers, isn't I, it? I, I, I you can have this fatal cancer or that fatal cancer. I can't Which continue one this? Like? It, yeah, that's right. But the the PGL guys just. Give me a really bad vibe. I think, the, um, you know, aside from where they're getting their money from, the actual people uh, and their their track record in business is just that they come in and they buy stuff. They they have no no regard for the actual product. They just see an opportunity. They come in and buy it and pump it and move on to the next opportunity. And uh, I think that's reflected in some of the material that they produced. Uh, the the concept that they've written up is one. If if these guys didn't have a a heap of money, then they wouldn't get a seat at the table. It, it's just they've written up a piece of paper. Anybody can written, write up a piece of paper. Ideas are cheap. Actually executing on those ideas and putting on great tournaments is a lot of hard work. And that's why they need to buy somebody like the the European Tour to actually do the hard work for them. So I've just I've just got very little respect for somebody who's going to come in and rely on the the people or prey on the 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 flagging business that they're going to buy to do all the work for them. Uh, it's not a bail. It doesn't feel like they'd be bailing them out. It just feels like they'd be taking advantage yeah. of that product mm-hmm. to run tournaments and make make them a lot of money and then they'll move on to the next thing. Um, so I just, aside from where they're getting all their, their money from with um, some of the, the dubious sources that they're getting their money from, I just don't like the vibe that the, those guys are, are running it. Have you done their logo yet? No, I'm working on a oh, piece good. for that. But it's also on top of everything, they've got bad taste. Yeah, that's right. yeah. <laughs> which is just that might be the greatest crime. And they're cheap. They haven't even done a website. No, the PGL doesn't have a website. They don't even have a Facebook page. They're above all of that because they've got so much money. Huggy, the rumour has it that there's been uh, sample contracts sent out in recent weeks. They've been very, very quiet. In fact, they've been yeah. obviously quiet. The PGL through this whole coronavirus thing has it played into their hands? Are you hearing much of, of what might be going on there? Are you hearing from players well, that they're receiving communication? Yeah, if I was a betting man, I, I would think that the PGL is a more likely scenario for the European Tour to go down, sadly, than, than the PGA Tour. Because if I'm the PGA Tour, I might be thinking, given the way the world is at the moment, why, is this more trouble than it's worth for us? Why, why bother to try and expand when we're doing so well, uh, in inverted commas, uh, at the moment, just by basically staying at home? So... If, as I say, I'm, I'm, I, I fear the PGL's influence. I think the European Tour might be backed into a corner and, and be left with only that one option if they want to survive in anything like the way that they exist at the moment because my fear is that we're just going to see what we've been watching the last two months from the European Tour. 
Um, the money's just not going to be there. Um, and it's just going to be a training ground for guys that, uh, I mean, there's obviously going to be, there's been a few guys, you touched on that earlier, the, the, the young lads, it's a fantastic opportunity for them to get a, win a tournament and get, you know, basically a three-year exemption out of it on the European Tour as a stepping stone to, to bigger things. But I don't know. I just I, I fear the I fear the worst for the European Tour. I, I, I hope I'm wrong um, because I root for the European Tour uh, to succeed. It's just that the I'm not privy obviously to the internal workings of their financial situation, but it doesn't look that good at the moment. Is that potentially uh, if you, would could a positive person look at it and say PGL plus European Tour equals legitimate? Um, competitor for the PGA Tour, and that's good for world golf. Well, the European Tour. I would hope that the European Tour would be strong enough in within those negotiations to to say that 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 we want to keep stay as close as possible to the model that that we've got right now. I mean, I, I think the European Tour is a terrific product in in that it, it's you know it's not quite doesn't quite have the variety that it used to have but it, it's got it's far more variety to its courses and simply because it's more international than the, than the PGA tour and it, it goes to some great places um and it's good fun um but it's you know i, I do worry that the the as you say when it comes down to when they're sitting at the table with the PGL people are they are they going to be in a strong enough position to to say this is what we want or we're not going to do it I think you know, the money inevitably is going to talk. And uh, as I say, I hope I'm wrong, but uh, it doesn't look good for them right now. Is is the PGL as a concept a sustainable concept? I mean, to me it feels like if they don't get Tiger, it's kind of almost the death knell for the PGL, mm. as is so many well, things in golf. And they may not get him. He's shown in the past he's knocked back the opportunity to play in Saudi Arabia for lots of money on moral grounds. Previously, we assume they're moral grounds. Uh, previously, he's not necessarily going to sign up. Rory's been anti-PGL. We don't know what's happened in the background with the PGA Tour and their discussions with Kepka and McElroy, who've both been vocally anti-PGL. That might just be part of the posturing. But is it a sustainable concept in the longer term? The PGL is 48 top players in the world. I and mean, the truth is there's what, eight golfers in the world that people will pay to go and watch. That's the reality. And the other 40 are just making up the numbers. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I, if you're, you know... Tiger's never been in his mid forties before until now. That's true. And I get where somebody that age would would see this as a kind of last hurrah to pick up you know huge amounts of money. And I get why Phil Mickelson's interested. I get why Phil um, Paul Casey's interested. Guys in that age group, I, I would I'd, I'd be tempted too if I w- if I was forty five and about to enter the the black hole that is the period from forty five to fifty where you're not really competitive on the regular tour anymore and too young for the senior tour. Why would you, why wouldn't you do it? Mm. You know, you're going to make far more money doing that than you are doing what you're doing before. So I I understand that perfectly, but the downside for the PGL, of course, in that if, if you're signing up too many guys in that age group, Mm -hmm. how long are people going to want to watch them? Given the, the senior tours around the world are, you know, not hugely popular in terms of, Spectators uh, on t- viewing figures. Yeah. Can we lament the so fact? So you're going you're going to have to sign people again. Your your next round of signings are going to have to come along quite quickly. Put it that way. And they're going to need to be young at some point, and that's there's yeah. a problem there because they're not yet established as superstars. So you've got this real. That's right. But can, can we lament the fact that they that players have to like contract themselves to a tour? 
these days. Like, mm. you, I, I like. I, I think it came as a shock to Rory that, it, like, he he was saying that line. It's like, mm. oh, I'm an independent contractor. I can. I can play where I want to play. As long I, know, as I do it 15 times it, in America. Like, I know I've got some constraints on me about keeping my US tour card, and that's always been the case. Like, you know, Norman had a lot of trouble actually getting enough tournaments in, even in the 80s. Um, but, uh, you know, that at the same time, I feel like, you know, Rory was coming from a place of like, what, you mean I can't choose to go and play somewhere? If I, like, uh, it, he probably has people take care of all that for him, so he didn't realise. The implications, but he was like, I, if "I'm I'm Rory McIlroy. If I want to go play somewhere, I'm going to go play somewhere." But that's actually not like Kingston completely the case, right? So, never has been though. And in fairness, you can't <coughs> just being good at golf doesn't guarantee that you should be able to make a living playing golf. There's a whole, which is exactly what Huggy was pointing out earlier. There's a whole raft of people underneath who make those tournaments happen. Rory McIlroy is not capable of staging a tournament. Nor is he capable of necessarily drawing together the team overnight that's required to stage a tournament. That's a big deal and a big business. It requires lots is, of it's, it's like a factory floor. The GM of a successful company can't go and run the factory floor on his own. Yeah. Without that, it doesn't happen. And so that, I think that's a pretty fair trade off. I mean, I, you can't, the PGA Tour, the European Tour, we've watched the Australian Tour crumble over the years. They cannot survive without some form of commitment from the players that people want to watch. They're selling entertainment, aren't they, Huggy? And if people want to watch yep. the most entertaining players. And if, if you can't get some firm commitment of some sort from those entertaining players, you simply can't have a, a business model. So, Yeah, I mean, that, that's the European Tour, you know, his, history tells us that the European Tour was built around star players. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've been writing a piece <clears throat> or working on a piece as a kind of preview for the next month's BMW PGA Championship. And, uh, well, they've got to him. He's calling it the sponsor's name, Logue. They've yeah, got to him. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's actually, I get into that in the story, though. It's, 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 uh, you've heard me say this before. At the the PGA Championship, that, that is that tournament. The, the one in America should be US PGA. But anyway, the, the the history of that event is quite interesting, which I'm not going to get into now because it's all part of that story. But the it's a kind of microcosm of the of the European Tour in that the event was built round the it, it surged in popularity when it was built round the five guys in the 1980s. That's when it really took off the the Faldo, Seve, Langer, Woosnam, Lyle era, and then along came Alathabal and Monty not too long after that. Um, but that's why it succeeded, and that's why it's now a seven million dollar event. It's it, back in the day. It was you know for two years it disappeared completely in the early seventies. It didn't exist. That's how bad things got. But um, you know it's obviously gone from strength to strength since. But that that was the the nucleus, the basis for its, its the success that we see now it was those five guys buying into the fact that it was a big event and something worth winning, and they came every year. That hasn't been happening recently because the you know we don't get Garcia, we don't get Justin, you know whoever guys that haven't been there every year. You don't get them all every year now, but you used to you used to get everybody, and that's what the European Tour was built on was those was the same those same guys. It was built on star names, and that's you're right. I mean that's that's what it comes down to. If you don't have them, you've not really got a tour or a tournament. So you just can't want. So we've seen the. We'll get into the LPGA thing. You know, we've seen the LPGA uh, make this agreement with the LET, and I think we all agree that's a good thing. I think a part of that is I think most of us trust Mike Wan at some level. Is in it for more than just 
a job and the money and all that sort of thing. He seems to have a real commitment to the women's game and women more generally and more broadly. They do a lot of stuff around their tournaments that aren't to do with golf, that are about empowering women and those sorts of things. And that's all fantastic. And there's room in the schedule as well. There, yes, but, there is. I don't think any of us would be anywhere near as comfortable that the PGA Tour could do something similar. If, if a similar deal was announced between the PGA Tour and the European Tour tomorrow, I would be terrified for the it future. It just comes down to there's no room in their schedule. So it immediately a, relegates a different the power European balance, Tour down there? to I suppose. What's the future though, Huggy? Then what do you do if you're Keith Pelley in the European Tour? How do you navigate out of this? You're right. It's a position of complete, almost complete lack of – I mean, we're in Australia. We're, we're gone as far as being a tour. That's the truth of it. The Asian tour has – a local impact, but there's not an awful lot. I mean, the European Tour has co-sanctioned a fair few events with Asia, but it just seems I can't just can't see the way out. And with the PGA Tour running 50 events, two weeks off, 50 events, and some of those weeks will have two events. They'll be opposite field events. Oh, my goodness. I, I just can't believe the European Tour's rebranding exercise didn't elevate them above <laughs> all of this. And that's, Do their logo, yeah, too. Just, <laughs> yeah. But you're right. You do wonder what the European Tour's got to offer if it sits down at the table with, you know, perspectives sponsors and the like i mean they get the best guys are somewhere else it's it's yeah it's a problem yeah maybe it's the maybe it's the the purest golfers to where the the stars of the future come it's, it's the opportunity australia's missed in so many ways so many times we've only really got the australian open to play with in that sense and the pga which is now co-sanctioned with the european tour but the australian open the number of times over the years that Somebody like Clates has suggested should or you should invite this guy. Yep. He's not a somebody yet, but he's going to be. And I think of Eddie Pepperell. Yeah. I think of Robert McIntyre. You could go through a list of names of the last five years that Clayton said to them, you should get this guy, you should get this guy, and they've never done it. But that can build. If we were looking back now saying, yeah, yeah, we saw Eddie Pepperell back in 2015, he came and played the Australian Open you know, because he was invited, and, and, and that builds something that way. But we seem to miss those opportunities because there's only money for Rory or Jordan. We had Adam it handed Jason. to us in the eighties and nineties because there was a gap in the in the schedule and yeah. players needed somewhere to go play, and so they came to Australia because it was great golf. Which may happen again. Is there a possibility for an Australian swing of a Europe, a future Euro, a new look European tour? Could the European tour look more like the ladies' European tour? Huggy, they well, have a, they have a terrific I, swing yeah, down here. I mean, the LAT. I've you know, I've written this umpteen times and I've argued you know till I'm blue in the face that the the European tour should be um, down where you guys live for for the month of February. Yeah. I mean, February is kind of up for grabs, and it, and it would make sense. Goodness knows what the the world's going to look like after all this happens. But it made sense, you know, in normal times when the European Tour had the the Middle East swing in January, it would have made sense to go from Abu Dhabi or Dubai or whatever to to Perth uh, in Western Australia and play one play an event there, and then jump across to the East Coast and. Maybe even you bring back in the New Zealand Open if there's enough money interest to be for that. But you could certainly you, you could come up with it easily a, a month, a, a really attractive mm. month. You've got the Vic Open now as well, yeah. and then you've got the Australian Women's Open. I mean, you can have a, you can have all kinds of things going on in your part of the world at that time of year because it's it's far enough away from the the Masters in April. I mean, for players with you know two months between the two, that that wouldn't be an issue. A peak at Royal Melbourne three months before the Masters wouldn't hurt either, would it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, 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 the opportunities there, but it's you know, we're none of us are sitting here now are privy to the no. the financial implications of it all. I mean, I'm sure you know you have to give them some credit. I'm sure that it's been looked into. Can this work? 
and nobody's been able to make it happen yet. So there has to be a reason for that. Yeah. Although, as I said, the yeah, ladies European tour do, do do a good job of it, Danny. It's a terrific swing of tournaments, yeah, there, Danny. And, and in a way, there, yeah, there is a little European tour swing down here. Um, you know, we've got a, a couple of tournaments in a row. So, But the the February is a better time slot for it. And in a weird way, COVID's sort of forcing a lot of the big Australian events into that yeah, part yeah. of the year. So maybe it'll work out. Mm. Yeah, there's lots of, uh, well, as I say, never waste a good crisis. Who knows what might come off the back of this in, yeah. if for the good. We, we tend to, we tend just, to focus yeah. on the not good, but what, who knows what might come. I just think it'll be a downgrade for the Australian Open to be part of the European tour. But Indeed. that's that one aside. Yeah, yeah I mean, you can certainly argue that. I mean, the, the Australian Open should be one of the premier events in, on any tour. You know, what a great title that is. I mean, the, the National Opens, if you were going to start from scratch and, and build a, a world tour, that's why I would build it, right? It's all the National Opens. They're the ones with the history and the, yeah. you know, they're, they're, just, they're just cool names, aren't they? I mean, Scottish Open, Australian Open, Irish Open. I mean, it's far better than Portugal Masters or, you know, <laughs> AIG. What are they playing this week? The women's thing is the AIG? The ANA. AIG was the women's Open A-I-G. and you've yeah, – yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, really? Come on. You've neatly drawn us into the uh, the next subject on the <laughs> calendar, Huggy. Beautiful. Our differing views of what happened with Sophia Popov. She, of course, won the AIG Women's Open, the British Open, from 304 in the world. It's an amazing story, fantastic story. Terrific week of golf, the most interesting golf that week. We talked about it at the time, Logan. We put the knife into the PGA Tour as being uninteresting that week, and watching Lynx golf was fantastic. Uh, before we uh, air our differences, Huggy, just give us a thumbnail sketch of what's happened there. So she's won the Women's Open, a major, and what's the point of contention that people are complaining about? Well, I think you should make your case first. I think Do I, the Mike Wan apologist first. thing yeah, first, Rod. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Wan apologist. Let's hear it. Here's the tr- Here's the reality. So what happened was she wins the AIG <laughs> Women's Open, and one of the benefits of that, if you win the AIG, is you get a spot in the field for the ANA Inspiration, which is traditionally the first tournament of the year would have been played the week before the Masters back in April in competition with the Augusta National Women's Amateur, and let's not go down that road. Uh, so that tournament obviously was postponed. They announced that in March. And in March they said, this is the field as it stands and this field won't change. You can agree or disagree with them having done that, but that's what they said. Along comes Sophia Popov, the fairy tale story, and wins the Women's Open, and she doesn't get into the field for the ANA Inspiration, which is in fact going to be played this week, the first major of the year. She's in the field for the 2021 event, but they said at the time, you can't play your way into the 2020 event. And to me, them having said that, without doing something special, it's a bit disingenuous to argue the toss about whether she should get a spot in that field or not. They said in March that nobody can play their way in, so I don't see how you can then say, yeah, except it's a really good story, so we'll let her in. Now, having said that, I think, and I'm surprised, they didn't take the PR opportunity to make a space for her in the field. That would have been the right thing to do. But to claim that there was something beyond just that was the rule, stupid though it may be, I'm not, I can't see anything in there. Right. Um, well, let, let me ask yeah. you a question yeah. based on what you've just said. Mm-hmm. Have you ever met a woman in your life who didn't defend her right to change her mind? <laughs> not yet, Huggy. I'm hopeful, but well, not there yet. You, well, there you go. All they have to do is change their uh, mind. And I think we agree. Uh, and do the right thing. Yeah, I think we basically agree. And I think most of this, I'm surprised they missed the opportunity to get her into the field. And I don't know what the reasoning might be behind that. That does seem like a missed opportunity. Well, who, but, do you, who do you kick I mean, out? We're, we're talking here about a major well, championship. Yeah, that's right. You, d- you don't kick we're out. Not, out like, I mean, as, as I touched field. on earlier, with the, the, the tour championship winner, you know, had he been 
needing a spot where it's going to get to play in the wing, at winged foot in two weeks' time, a, a, a tour championship, a, a tournament with no... It's basically an exhibition. It's, it's got no historical significance whatsoever, and yet the the guy who wins it gets, an, gets a spot in the US Open. The contrast between what with, with that and what the women are doing, the somebody who won a major championship in fantastic style, which is, you know, just an add-on, is not going to be playing in the next major. I mean, it's ludicrous. I mean, I've got, you know, you, we, we've all watched golf over the years and, and seen golf shoot itself in the foot with unbelievably ludicrous rules, decisions, and, and rules in place that make no sense whatsoever. This is one. I guarantee you that Mike Juan is going to change this at the end of the year. I guarantee he's going to change it. So why not just change it now and be done with it? I mean, it's just well, madness. Well, I've well, got no patience for this. Sort of stuff. Oh, I disagree with this much. There's nothing to change. She's in the a field for next year. This would be a one-off situation because of the COVID thing. There's no way that there, there's nothing to. So, so next year the she's oh, in the because it's the first in, major anyway. That's right. Year. She's in tw- exactly yeah. under any other circumstance the ANA would have already been played. Yep. So, so in that sense they've been sort of caught on the hop with the COVID thing. So she is in next year, and here's the thing that cannot be taken away from her. That's important. That's what rules do. They draw the lines in the sand, and occasionally that bites you on the ass. Now I agree. It's a PR disaster and it's a huge missed opportunity and a surprising missed opportunity from Mike Wan, who generally I think most of us agree has done good for the game and for the women's game. Huge missed opportunity not to find a way to get her into that field. I can't well, imagine. In fact, I'm surprised I, ANA haven't put the pressure we, on him to let her in. Yeah, are we agreed that they're going to change it? Well, there's no rule to change, Huggy. The rule is if you yeah, win the women's open, you get into the ANA. Yeah. And she is. She's in the ANA for 2021. But she can't be in the A&A for twenty twenty because when it was played, the women's open hadn't been played, so there was no need for any gonna, rule about that. But they're going to change that rule. There's not a rule to change, Huggy. <laughs> well, the the rule is if you win the women's open, you get into the A and A. That's still the rule, and she's in the A and A for twenty twenty one. The the women's open has traditionally played after the A and A. So it could. I mean, sense? they could they could do it as they like, could you're get into her in the, the field. next A and A that gets played. Is it? Does it actually say next year? Um, <laughs> under what circumstances does that make any sense to have as a rule? They, oh, they, they interpret the rules however they like when it suits them. Yeah, have you looked at the qualifying criteria? I mean, there's plenty of opportunities in there, at least two I can think of, where they could have said, right, you're in. I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily agree with you over that, but I think we're in agreement with this, that some of the rules don't make sense. The five-year exemption thing, I think, is going to change. One essentially said that in that uh, statement. shocking that, that she doesn't have that five-year exemption. Well, kind of not really. I mean, exemptions are not... But did people start saying to her immediately after she won that she'd like, she got missed five it. years? I th- no, no. I think she, she knew was told, straight away that she was told she in the scorer's tent, I think, that she wouldn't be in the ANA. But what so about the five-year exemption thing? Because the, the five-year exemption thing is a much bigger deal. Like that's, But it's never that's been the career. case, and I she's, think that will change. But it's never been the case from, that you get a five-year if you're a non-member. So there's a lot of stuff okay. in there, which is the technicalities of professional golf, and you would hear this a lot, Huggy. When you talk to players, most golf professionals don't think about the game of golf much. They think about all of this sort of stuff, where are they going to play, what sort of exemptions they get, what category and what starts can they get, and all those sorts of things. Exemptions and memberships are pretty touchy subjects with players, aren't they, Huggy? They're... They're very protective of yeah. ensuring that they can have some tenure and some security. And so exemptions and handing out five-year exemptions and memberships is not just as straightforward as I just should happen necessarily because they're member organisations. Is that reasonable, Huggy, what I'm suggesting there? 
Well, yeah, I mean, I know there's a lot of, you know, players get hacked off, but there's always a perfect answer to that on most of these things is play play better. (laughs) If if you're good enough, you'll get your exemption. Stop moaning and play better. Yeah. And there isn't a player on the LPGA Tour who's, who's come out and said that she shouldn't get to play. Not to us, not publicly, but we don't know what the LPGA players have been saying behind closed well, doors. And again, and it wouldn't make any difference. They, they could add her in. It wouldn't. Oh, no, they, like, does I've anybody, does anybody the, think they're doing the right thing here? No, no. I've got the perfect answer though. If you can't, if you don't get in the timesheet on a Saturday comp, you just turn up. I mean, you go into the pro shop and you say, "Fit me in somewhere." She should just turn up to the A and A and just say, <laughs> just, <laughs> "Just walk into the pro shop at uh, Mission Hills. Where is it? Place? Mission. Yes. Yeah. Just walk in the pro shop there and say, can you fit me in somewhere?' That is. Uh, that I'll is play the, in a four ball. It's all right. I'll, you know. That reminds me. Sorry. Often. The bigger issue for me is is why golf keeps doing this stuff. You know, the, yes, the worst one I would come back to is was the Mark Rowe thing at the the Open at St George's, where you know he and Jesper Parnovic didn't swap cards, and you know, I mean. And Mark Rose disqualified. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was changed immediately. You know, they, everybody knew it was wrong, but and because it was some stupid rule, they had to stick by it. I mean, I'm not, I'm never going to say let's that rule's stupid, but let's stick by it anyway. I mean, that's what that's basically what the LPGA are doing here. They're doing something that everybody knows is wrong, but they're going to do it anyway because some. It's written down somewhere. I mean, goodness me. It's madness. It's just I've got no patience for any of this, as you can probably tell. I can tell. So so let me put it to you this way, and this is one of the things I put in my piece. A lot of people said exactly the same thing about Lexi Thompson, ironically, at the ANA in 2017. This is madness. This happened on Saturday. She doesn't get told about it until the 12th uh, green on Sunday. And not only that, the penalty is too harsh uh, why does she have to have four shots? If they're going to penalise her, they should only penalise her two. Is that fair? Yeah. Does that yeah. make sense? That doesn't make sense to me because we don't like the rule after the infraction's taken place. Oh, we just won't. In- we won't enforce the penalty. The, the rules officials have no choice in that in that situation. She's breached the rule. That's the penalty. There you go. And she was damn lucky that it didn't happen the year before when she would have been marched off the golf course, disqualified after twelve holes. And I don't think anybody would have campaigned for. Well, in fact, people did. People that I was surprised who did suggested they shouldn't have enforced that penalty uh, to the full letter of the, the ruling because it was too harsh and the situation was too too tense and it was too sensitive and they shouldn't have done it. They should have given her just one stroke or two strokes or whatever it might have been instead of four, which is arguing the same kind of thing. There's the rules. We all teed up knowing the rules. We all agreed to play by those rules, and now there's been an outcome that makes us say, oh, actually, well, you know, in this particular situation under this set of circumstances, those rules don't really work for me anymore. And I take your broader well, point, you- Huggy, but yeah. you can't just have a- a- an entire sporting competition where the rules are flexible depending on whether you like the story that's unfolded based on the rules that are in place at the time. You can change them later. You can do all of that. But if that's the rule at the time, I do well, have some sympathy for the notion. Yeah. If that's the rule at the time, I'm, I'm with Huggy on this. If, I know if you, you can, are. Most people are. If you can get, if you can find a way to not eject someone else out of the field, and I know, of course, that there's a lot of people not turning up, which sort of adds fuel to this whole fire. Mm-hmm. But uh, obviously, there's alternates that are, have an expectation that they'll get in, and you let those alternates in. But somebody has to, like, they literally have to just add her onto a group, so and I think that's th- fine. But, but we're I guess does that group get disadvantaged that they're no, playing no, no, in a four ball no, or three ball or something about- like that? But that's the only downside that I could see. Right. Just so add we're talking about two different things. 
what you're suggesting is we don't like what the outcome of the rule was, so let's change it. I agree. That, that, that would be a sensible thing in all ways, and nobody would disagree with that. But we're talking about we've got to distinguish between the fact that as they stand, they are the rules. And everybody you, you agreed could, to those rules before they signed on to play the tournament. But you could you could make the case that it's the the next ANA that gets played. Does it explicitly say the next year's ANA? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Mm, I think sure so. I'm not that. sure, but I think so. I would imagine so. I, I would. I would I imagine it would be the following. I'm years. looking for loopholes here. For- yeah, we're all looking for loopholes. <laughs> we're in agreement. All of us would love to see Sophia Popov play in the ANA. And I'm play- disappointed that they haven't found a way to get her in the field. That's, and no player could object to it done. either because she won a yeah, major. Well, that's right. She won a but, major. But the, like, if anything gets you into the next major, it's winning a major. It doesn't matter whether the rules dumb. Or not. It was the rule at the time when you signed up for it, and if you signed up for it, you kind of got to stick to it, even if you don't like it. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. No, it's not a case of liking it. I mean, my thing is, this doesn't make any sense, so let's not do it. Yeah, let's not do it next time, Huggy. No, no, just let's not do it. It just may, let's just you know we mm. who makes these decisions? You know, let's just forget these you know blazer stiffs. That sit around, you know, committee rooms in Far Hills and St Andrews. Forget them. You know, who cares what they think? You know, they get history tells us how many things have they gotten wrong over the years. I mean, here's the, I keep going back to Mark Rowe and, and Parnovic. This is how crazy that was. If Mark, if Jesper Parnovic hadn't beaten Mark Rowe on the fourth hole, taken made a four against Mark Rowe's five. If that, if Mark Rowe had not lost any of the holes playing against in inverted commas, Parnovic that day, Mark Rowe would have been able to play in the final round, but with Jesper Parnovic's score from the previous day. That's how mad that was. That's exquisite. I mean, how, how can you do How can we defend anything like that? Just don't pay, pay no attention to it. Hang Just on. Isn't there, a difference between, on. isn't there a difference between defending it, Huggy, and saying, right, we've now discovered this that this rule is ridiculous and here's one outcome of it, so we'll change it for the future. But unfortunately, no. as things stand at the moment... No, just change it. Just don't. Just no. ignore it. If I, it's no. wrong, just ignore it. Why, read- why, why, def- why stick up for something that's wrong? I don't get it. I'm not sticking up for anything that's wrong. I'm now surrounded by a communist and an anarchist. <laughs> what hope have I got? And I'm backed into the corner. I've got bad feng shui. I've read these... Uh, exemption lists and it's it's just it's a like a stack of dominoes like if you if you miss out on exemption on one category then you mm-hmm. you come in on another category and they come in on another category and it's like a ladder that you climb and and eventually something hits and you get a tick in your column and you're qualified i surely regardless of whatever rules there were that just winning a major trumps everything like, you just stick that rule up on top. Yeah, in future. It's a fantastic <laughs> right. idea, but it's it wasn't just, the rule at the but, time. But you can add it on. <laughs> and we, just, could have, we could have just given Lexi two shots instead of four, and she would have won the A&A, and everyone would have been happy. Uh, though, one's a rule of golf, and one's just like, can somebody tee it up? But, you know, that's I, I don't, bad analogy. They're rules. That, without them, you can't have a competition, you, and you can't have a tour, and you can't have a season, and they can be wrong, and they can be adjusted, and all the rest of it. But if you've signed up to play by a certain set of rules... Yeah, it's problematic if you decide afterwards that you don't like them and you'd like to change them mid-competition because they don't make sense in this particular. And that's the point I'm making. What does Mike Wan have on you that you're uh, taking this position? Well, he's not a communist or an anarchist, so he's starting to look pretty good as a potential co-host in the not too distant. I'm I'm actually both. How about that? Yeah, well, (laughs) well, you're Scottish, Huggy. You don't need to say you're both. It comes with the territory, doesn't it? We touched on this earlier again. I've said that a lot tonight, but... um, yeah, communism's a great idea, but unfortunately, 
doesn't work. It's the execution, no. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chipping's a great that, idea, yeah. but my execution suggests that maybe we should yeah. go down uh, go down that road. Anyway, we'll agree to disagree, Huggy. But I think we're all agreed on the one thing. It's a shame that she's not in the uh, she's not in the ANA. What a breath of fresh air, Huggy Sophia Popov has proved. And to her credit, yeah. she's handled this whole thing fantastically. I think. Which is not a great surprise, but I think she's handled it really well. What must have been well, extraordinarily disappointing. As you said earlier, publicly at least. Yeah, publicly at least. Although she's not been at all shy about going on all sorts of podcasts and giving all oh. sorts of interviews everywhere to talk about all of it. So uh, good on her and uh, and well done. Uh, we do get subjected to the ANA this week, Adrian. <laughs> Interesting choice of words there. Let's, let's be completely honest. As a major, it misses on a lot of levels starting with the golf course, doesn't it? Yeah, it's an incredibly not compelling event. But I, I think if you ask the players and the, it's an important event, it's a very important event for them to win. And nobody would ever uh, take away the status of winning it. It's um, uh, incredibly prestigious, but uh, it just doesn't have a major feel at all from a from a golf course feel. point of view. Yeah, Again, I, I just doesn't take anything away from the the way the players feel about winning it. Well, the rules are you've got to play at Mission Hills if you want to win the ANA. We've all agreed to that. Is that, is so that the course? So the rules, or should, or should we just? I took a guess. It is Mission Hills. Yeah, okay. Mission Hills yeah. in Rancham Road. So maybe you yeah, should just be able to play down the road instead. I said a mutual friend of ours calls that course the bowling alley. Yes. Yeah. Well, look, that, mm. but there's, that's subjective, I guess. Those of us who don't like that sort of golf, um, etc. It's going to be another funny one, Huggy. With as Logue pointed out, many of the Korean players in particular missing, including the world number one, Jin Young-ko. Another one that you might think perhaps in 30 years we'll look back and say, eh, it might have been more sensible to cancel that. Well, you know, the, you know I, I wish they'd go back to the days when it was it was named after Burt Reynolds' old girlfriend. I think that it was much more prestigious at that point. <laughs> yes. yes, indeed. I mean, I made myself popular with the LPGA years ago by pointing out that the, I think three of the four majors were, or I think they had four at the time, uh, one was sponsored by, you know, one had, as I said, Burt Reynolds' old girlfriend's name on it. The The British Open had a breakfast cereal, and I think there was a supermarket on another one. It was just, That's oh, right, my goodness. Wegmans LPGA. And actually, yeah. it's, it's that one, the, the former Wegmans LPGA, which has been the one that's emerged as probably the most prestigious of the events aside from the US oh. Women's Open recently, because what they've done good venues. is go to good venues. Yeah. They've just changed yes. the rotor of courses, and they've done a bunch of other stuff behind this. But that change of rotor in courses has given that that tournament. That's the that's the KPMG. KPMG, yeah, okay. LPGA. Yeah, there's there's a lesson there for the PGA too. Very much. As we talked earlier, you know, they they've got to get the golf courses, the quality of the golf courses, higher on their priority list. Well, where to decide where they're going to go? But here we we bump into the equipment problem again, Huggy. Where do you go? You can't yeah. go to the old course well, without moving five of the tees yeah. off the golf well, course. <laughs> on that, you know, as a tangent to that, I mean, uh, see what you think of this. If nothing's done about the equipment, where are they going to play in ten years' no, time? I couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. Where are they going to play? Couldn't agree more. I don't know, and I don't know why it's. I don't know. I, I don't understand the opposing argument that says. It's great that players are hitting it further and further. It, it just it doesn't make golf more interesting or more entertaining. And so, it, ultimately, what's the point of it? That's what there, I don't. There's only going to be one way to play eventually, and we're we're heading down that path already. And ten years from now, there's there's definitely only going to be one way to play. We keep seeing this contrast as well with uh, our mate Rob Williamson posting oh. 
um, little clips yeah. from yeah. Nine, early 90s and, and eight, late 80s. Crowds at the Masters and that Australian Open he was posting last Just week. every single aspect of it. You had the Vic Open with everybody walking on the fairway and massive crowds at the Vic Open. Mm-hmm. It was just towards the end of the heyday for the Vic Open, that one yeah. there. But, of course, the Vic Open's re-emerged as, another, as a great tournament yet again. But the great crowds, great venues, they're hitting mid-long irons into par fours on occasion. Uh, the you know firm fairways. It's brown. It's uh, good fields. Um, and uh, yeah, competitive golf. The, the, good e- the epoch of the Australian Tour, and uh, you know, arguably that that's sort of a combination of a number of great things with you know good venues, un- unfettered venues as well. Like that, you don't have yeah. an advanced team going to the course and replacing the sand in all the bunkers <laughs> and yeah. telling them what height they're going to mow the fairways up. and what height they're going to mow the semi rough and the and the deep rough. It's just they turn up to the golf course. There's a lot of prep that goes into any tournament, even in those days, you know, just as much in those days. But they didn't have advanced teams telling them how to set up the course. They just played the course as they found it. It was beautiful, great crowds, great engagement. Golf golf. took off in this country because of that. And, uh, you know, that's we just don't have that anymore. Is it a contender? And I want Huggy's thoughts on this in a minute. Is it a contender for your perfect tournament that you're searching for? Uh, I. Those feel those, the fields aren't have quite the fields, good enough. Yeah, so but everything else, the way it's staged, and you know, no no ropes in that Vic, Vic Open was sensational. Uh, but yeah, the, in almost every other respect. So I think you've got to go to an Open Championship where the fields were great, and all the fields are great. And uh, in the eighties, the, well. the late eighties, we'll explain the, what we're talking about in yeah. a minute, Huggy. But you were going to say something, and I cut you off. My apologies. No, I was I was just going to be facetious for a minute and just say that the, those clips are, are brilliant. And the, there was even one with Mike Clayton holding a putt. <laughs> so, they're rare as well. There's plenty of him missing a putt and just looking completely miserable right. every single well, he t- after every shot. He just looks completely miserable. He told us on this very show, if I'm not mistaken, a few weeks ago we had him on. It was uh, the week that Rob was playing the 1984. Four Australian Open, I'm going to say, which Clay yeah, said. Yeah, 84, yeah. And Clay said one, to us, one. yeah, he said, he, he looks back on it and he remembers on the day at the seventh hole saying to himself, well, that's it, you've got no chance of winning this, you've yeah. blown it. And he he's looks two at shots it now, back. He's just humiliated by his own mental incompetence. Like, well, I'm an idiot. Mm. I'm well and truly in this. I could have won this golf tournament and I've just wasted that opportunity because in my own mind, I'd given up by the seventh hole. It was like a, mm. Tell Huggy about your perfect tournament. I think he'll probably have some contenders. If not now, I think he'll probably come back to us. He might even write a column about it. Well, what I'm are you looking for? Disappointed in our listeners. Nobody's sort of nominated a on perfect it, no. tournament. Um, um, sorry, Matt Mollick. I take that back. Matt Mollick, of course, of course. has submitted, submitted really something to really a listener, me. is he? He's part of the bubble. <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, I'm looking for somebody to identify for me the tournament where we had the perfect intersection of equipment and skill and, and tournament uh, set up and field quality. And I, I I feel like it's got to fall somewhere in the 80s where course setups weren't, uh, you, you didn't have that resort course mentality coming into play so much. Uh, the, the open venues in particular were, you know, as you found them. And uh, you had the battle between equipment and golf course, uh, arguably at its epoch in professional golf at that point. Any jumping out at you, Huggy? My mind's going rightly or wrongly, and I'm more time to think about it. That might, it might change, but the 1980 Open at Muirfield, won by Tom Watson, um, is as close as I can come up with to that 
scenario at the moment. I'll, I'll think about it some more. But, it's, a great, uh, it's a great question, isn't it? It's a creeper that you can think, because you'll change your mind four or five times over the course of a month. Yeah. You'll go, that's it. And then a week later, you go, actually, what Because 84 must have a case to make there, would it not, Huggy? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's a, there's some pretty good names going at it on the ultimate golf course there. And playing at that time, playing that golf course as it's meant to be played as well. Yep. Watson and Seve, yeah. yeah. And they had the uh, – we had a lot of snippets of that in that recent thing that the RNA put together uh, for the yeah. Open oh, the, for the Ages. The digital Open, yeah. the Open for the Ages thing, I, yeah. I haven't watched that. Was it any good? Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> Really interesting concept and pretty well executed, I thought. It was. And there was some fantastic stuff in there. I mean, you'll, you'll always get arguing about, well, they didn't put this in or they shouldn't have put that in. But I think for the most part, I thought they did it, uh, they did it really well. And it was just – we're funny, aren't we? I think about this every year, Huggy, when the Masters comes around, which it's about to <laughs> in a month's time, which is yeah. weird. And you're going to a Scottish Open in October, which is bizarre. <laughs> and we go there. But we're funny creatures. I The appeal of the Masters, in many ways, is the retelling of exactly the same stories every single year. Every golf magazine on the planet has a Masters special issue. And that Masters special issue is simply full of all of the same stories that were in the previous year's Masters issue. Isn't that comforting, though? It's like yes. somebody giving you a big hug. It kind of yeah. is. It's weird, though, isn't it? You'd think that, you know, you'd be constantly counting the new and different and interesting and constantly changing, but the truth is that the appeal of the Masters is it's exactly the same stuff every single year. And Whose idea was the champion's dinner and the champion having to pay for mm. the dinner and all, all of that stuff, I, you know, uh, the big oak tree out the front, all of that stuff is just you're exactly right. It's like a great big hug of you. Oh, we're back at the Masters yeah. and let's see what happens. It's bizarre, <laughs> isn't it? You'd think it would be the opposite. Just come on in. Bring it in. <laughs> bring it on in. Yeah, indeed. That's going to be weird, Huggy. A Masters in November. It's an unthinkable it process, is. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Obviously, I'm pretty sure I won't be there, but um, – yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating to see how different the course plays at that time of year. If indeed it does play differently, I don't know. You'd have to think it will, won't you? I mean, there is um, a difference between spring and autumn. Going to be so fascinating. I, obviously, well, it's completely grassed differently. It's it's going to be cooch, isn't it? Um, versus or Bermuda, as they call it. I've got no idea. But uh, versus the overseeded rye at um, April. Don't know. It'll yeah. be. It'll be. Yeah. I don't think you're growing rye grass in that climate. It, it Might be Rory's big chance, Huggy. Like well, yeah, the, you know, the, the course is playing a bit longer and softer. Yeah. Um, that usually plays into his strengths. It's not but his physical game that lets him down it's there, is it? It's amazing what they can do there. They, they can control almost everything. Yeah, that is you know, I sometimes think they can control the weather. <laughs> they've got contacts but, that go uh, that far, you reckon? Yeah, they've got, yeah, they've got somebody up there, you know, having a word. But, uh, you know, it'll be as close to April as they can get it, yeah. put it yes. that way. Yeah, yeah it'll be just that the colour of the grass will be a giveaway mm-hmm. because you know, Bermuda has a slightly lighter lighter sort of shade of green. I, I wonder whether they can just tolerate that. I, I think they might get the paint out. Could do. Wouldn't surprise. Wouldn't surprise. Yeah. Well, they, they certainly dye the water. I mean, yeah. it's the only blue water in Georgia. Brown. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, Lord knows what it takes to achieve that. Huggy, we've kept you longer than we meant to, but it's always fascinating to chat to you, mate. It's been fantastic again today. Really appreciate you taking the time and uh, look forward to it. I hope the ankle keeps feeling better, and I hope you get out and play some more golf with your wife. That's lovely to hear. That's your golf highlight, I think, for the week. I'm going to get, get <laughs> well, loads in a minute. Play more. Uh, my brother-in-law is at me as well to go and play maybe nine holes in the evening, so I'm going to 
I need to walk, so I'm going to do. Evening so golf is beautiful. Two birds with one stone. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Evening golf is beautiful. That just out with a mate hitting balls on a golf course in the evening. It's a lovely and wonderful thing to do. So I fully recommend that. Mm -hmm. I get out there and do it. Did you have a golf highlight this week, Luke? Uh, it's a pretty minor one, but the greens were renovated at uh, where I play last weekend, and that actually suits my game. I can, you know, they go from being stupidly fast for club golfers to being ridiculously slow. And uh, some, you can yip them in. The stroke that I have, I think, <laughs> is suited to slow greens. I can actually, like, I just smash the ball, and it was always ending up within tapping distance. So I was really happy with that. It was bouncing around everywhere, but you know, who cares? Why are people upset when greens get cored? I don't know. People post about it on social media. Oh, I know. Like, yeah, oh, huge. I should have been informed that oh, the greens were. It's just, yeah, get over it. You don't it. want to know about the rest get of the program. It just, you don't get to hear about the coring. Just rolling the ball up to the hole and just tap it in. Like, just, what's the big deal? Uh, get over it. Enough. Who's winning the tour championship quickly? Uh, Dustin Johnson's already won it. Has he won Dustin, it, has he? Dustin Johnson won it yeah. at 21 yeah. under slash 11 under. Good work, Dustin. Uh, that'll be great to see. That'll be really good for him because he's a bloke who really needs a bit of a shot in the arm, Dustin. Isn't yeah. he? <laughs> That's right. He's got the world's greatest walk, one of the world's greatest swings, and more money than God. So well done, Dustin, and uh, that'll be it. Thanks, Huggy. Thank you, Logue. Episode 48 in the books. Back next week to do it all again. Episode 49 here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.